This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's Word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey. That's Caleb, that's Robert, that's Ryan, the horn, and we're going to get right back into Nehemiah. We're going to get into Nehemiah 12, and the interesting thing about Nehemiah 12 is you're like, okay, well, this just seems like a continuation of Nehemiah 11 because the first however many uh, verses are just, oh, it's just names again. Oh, here we are with these names. Why does Kyle like this chapter or this book of the Bible so much? It's because there's so much here that doesn't always present itself as obvious because it's obvious why Nehemiah 1, 2, 3, and 4 are so exciting and so there's so much there and you know I've given entire talks and and sermons just on Nehemiah 1 through 4. It's very, very important but there's a lot here as well but before we move on because the biggest chunk of what I want to talk about is really the climax of the book of Nehemiah which starts in verse 27. I want to go to verse 24 and so I'm going to read from the ESV and then I want to start our conversation here. And we'll see how bad I do these names, but here we go. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, and the son of Cadmiel, and their brothers who stood opposite them, to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. So, as I was reading that, because again, what I like to do, uh, just to remind you guys how I like to read the Bible, I like to read the words by themselves first which I'm, I'm so glad that I got these, uh, these journal Bibles through Crossway. So it's each individual uh, book of the Bible. And so on the left side, you have the scripture. On the right side, you have where you can take notes. And then there's a bunch of note pages in the back. And so I like to read it without commentary first. And then I'll start reading commentaries. Maybe I'll go and do something a little bit deeper. And it's interesting what phrases or words or parts of the scripture uh, reaches or speaks to me or, or kind of you know, gets my attention. When I read David, the man of God, I thought, and I literally wrote in the margin, oh, what it would be like to be called Kyle, the man of God. Because it's one thing when you die for people to say nice things at your funeral or when they distill your entire life down to a tombstone and it's father, husband, friend, you know, that type of thing. But it's another thing while you're alive for someone to call you blank, the man of God, right? And I just think that's almost like a rallying cry for me or like a reminder. Like some people, are, they'll, they'll wear a rubber band on their wrist to remind them to, you know, don't cuss. And if they cuss, they pop, you know, pop their wrists or, you know, they have little triggers like, okay, I'm not eating uh, carbs right now or I'm not doing whatever. Like they, they always want to remind themselves. That was such a thing that stood out to me. And if you just buzz through the first 26 verses, because you're like, ah, it's just another list of names, you would have missed it. So I think that's important. Absolutely. The, um, you know, we think about like, again, I mean, it's kind of the generation, you know, talking about heritage, stuff like that. And uh, to be, to be described in that way, I had, this is an exercise I did years ago that was recommended by someone I can't remember. Uh, but it's to basically write your eulogy. Yeah. It's like, what do you want to I think be that's the uh, seven habits of highly effective people. I think that's Maybe. one of the things they make you do. Maybe. Yeah. But it's like, but then the key was like, read it every day, mm. uh, which is kind of weird when you think about it. But I mean, what you're, you're trying to kind of, yeah, you're trying to, you know, it's aspirational, right? It's what do you want to be remembered for? Um, but then remind yourself of it every day. And I feel like that's just, you know, because I, th- I don't think this is the only place he mentions David, the man of God. 
but yeah, to be described in that way, I mean, that's, I've often thought that I want, I want people to say his life really matched up with his words, you know, cause there's like, it's easy to say the right words. I mean, that, that part's easy, but it's to do the things that you're saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, again, it's, it's heritage, it's legacy, it's all those things. So, you know, to keep reminding ourselves of that, that was an exercise that, that I did years ago that, I mean, I don't still read it every day, but I probably should. To be labeled as a man of God at the end of your days, I think people can encapsulate and they can see these points in your life where you um, just shined, you know, where you were above and beyond. You were faithful to one woman your whole life. You know, you raised your kids well. But then again, to be able to say that you are actively a man of God every day, there's a difference. It's not these highlights and these points over the course of, you know, six decades, seven decades, hopefully if we get a chance, but it's this daily chance of being able to die to self, to, you know, do everything that we can to be able to glorify God. And are we doing that in the mundane? Are we doing that in their daily actions? Well, Robert, let's talk about that a little bit deeper, because I think that connects to what Caleb was saying as well. It's what are the things that we do to remind ourselves of what our commitments are? So there was a guy, I saw a video and I can't remember the guy or the exacts, but you know, the, the general gist of it's going to be true. Um, this guy, I think he took, um, he looked at his life expectancy. He's probably in his thirties or he's probably in his forties. And he looked at his life expectancy, which was like 82. And he calculated the number of weeks until death. It was either weeks or months until his death. And every time a week or another month went by, he would color in the bubble and he printed this out and put it on his wall to where it was. Yeah. To where all things being equal, you know, I don't, you know, get on some heater and live a whole lot longer. And also, you know, I don't get hit by a bus or attacked by a pack of wolves like this, like this is how long I got. And so what it did for him is he's like, is what I'm working on right now. Cause again, this is like a leadership guru guy is what I'm working on right now. Is that helping me make the difference and, and make the, the impact that I want to make? Because this project's going to take me, let's say he was doing it in weeks. He's like, this is going to take me four bubbles to, to finish this thing. And I was like, wow, like it seems macabre, it seems morbid, but you know, really at the end of the day, it's like, like that, that's really how we should be acting. I mean, would, do you guys think that that's kind of too much? Like some people are like, oh, that's, that's a bit too much. Like to think about it in those terms. Because, that would stress me out. I would yeah. be anxious. I think it depends upon the, the, I don't know, the character of the person. You know, I know if I were to try to put that up in my office and my wife walk in and see it every day, <laughs> it would probably have Y'all an get adverse in a fight reaction. and she starts filling in more yeah, bubbles. That's right. <laughs> she, <laughs> start, she starts taking away bubbles at <laughs> the bottom right. of it. She's like, you're yeah. not going to live that not long, that. Buddy, you know? Yeah. But I do think that I can look at it and see the value and the health in it if I were to just have that personally in a journal that I look at every once in a while and be able to see, I, you know, I mean, I think would I be a little bit less, I don't know about binge watching an episode or, you know, when I, would I, would I manage my time better? Again, it's circling back to what last week we talked about is that, you know, the altars of comfort and entertainment, you know, all too often, you know, it's easy for us as men to just, you know, put ourselves as a self God, this idea of us being God. And those are the altar that we pray to on a consistent basis. And I think if I saw a bubble there, it would be easier for me to go, you know what? I, I can deal without that. I need to be investing my time here. So. I, 
I like the idea of the eulogy and writing it down. Never thought about that. I think it's a, a, a kind of a, a good way of like reminding yourself of like kind of who you want to be. I mean, the most I've done is like set up the soundtrack to my funeral. So, you know, um, but, um, but it's all Britney Spears. It's not, that's where we're it's curious. It's Taylor Swift. That's right. Sorry. So, Wrong blonde pop Actually, star. Taylor Swift was in there because I have the national, but, um, <laughs> See, see when jokes become real life. Yeah, it's true. Um, my wife will attest to it. Um, but the, th- the thing that I look at is, I don't know if it's just me that I, and I just shoot life at the hip. Like, I just don't look that far ahead. I just like, want to live in the moment now. You know, because if I'm in the moment now, then I'm going to enjoy it. Because if I keep thinking about life of what it's going to be 30 years from now, if I die, like, that's just where my mind's going to set. And so when I, when I look at you know, being a man of God, I want to be known for my faith, you know, and, and where that faith got me and knowing that my full depravity in life, like, you know, I'm not the perfect man. I'm not a good, you know, I'm not the good man that I think I am. There's a reason I need a savior. And so just being able to just go out on faith and just kind of shoot at the hip, like that's just kind of like how I am. I I feel, I find it very macabre to do, you know, like, oh, I got these many years left. And I'm just like, I can't do that. If I do that, I'm just going to, I'm going to dwell on, I'm going to dwell on that future and not dwell on the present. I think one thing that helps, there are certain cultures around the world that we have a very sanitized view of death in America. Okay. So when people in our families get old and they're closer to death, we put them in homes with people that can help care for them so that we don't have to deal with that level of death and pain. And then whenever they die, we, we have a you know, funeral service. They come and they, they pick up the body and they prepare it and they do all these different things. And some funerals are closed caskets, some are open, but that creates a lot of negative emotions for people. And so, you know, they maybe do a closed casket and it's, it's just this very sanitized view of death. Whereas there are other cultures around the globe where death is a constant reminder. So what is it? What is a memento mori? Like, you know, we're remembering the dead. Um, when I was in Rome for the first time, I had been on the ground less than an hour and our guide took us to, he's like, Hey, before the rest of our group, cause we were traveling with a larger group. It's like, before they get here this afternoon, let me take you some places that you would never see. Cause you want to go see the Colosseum and the Trevi fountain and you know, the Vatican and all those things. He took me to something called bone church. So it was an early sect of Christianity that had an outsized, uh, reverence for the dead. And so if you search Bone Church on Google and go to images, you will see all the decorations in this church are created using human bones, actual human bones. So there's like these mosaics and it's, it's ribs and jaws and, and femurs and tibias. And like, that's, that's how they've made this whole thing. And people go in there and they're just, they're shocked and appalled. Some of them are, you know, they're clutching their pearls, they're offended. But this was a culture that had a tremendous uh, this particular sect had a tremendous reverence for the dead and they wanted to be constantly reminded of that. Like, hey, while I'm not bones on a wall of a church somewhere, there are things that God has me on this planet to do and I need to, to make sure I'm doing that. Like, I need to make sure I'm over the target, which doesn't mean that you can't binge watch that show every now and then. It doesn't mean that you can't, you know, go take a vacation and unplug, but it's like, you're here for a reason. You're still taking breath, so God has a purpose for you. and. I think that that ties into to what we're looking at here because really the, the climax of the entire book of Nehemiah technically is in the middle of Nehemiah 12 because starting at verse 27, and we'll get into some of the details, it's the dedication of the wall. This is a, this is a big, big, big day, okay? 
So from the very beginning of Nehemiah 1, when we were looking at, you know, him just lamenting the fact that a city that he had never even been to was in shambles, right? And then here we are at the climax. And so we've got a lot that we're going to talk about in Nehemiah 13, so I'm a little bit afraid we won't be able to to exactly, you know, talk about this. I just want to open this up for anybody just to give your your generalized thoughts of the totality of the work that was done by Nehemiah. Because we're going we're gonna to dig into the celebration and some of the corollaries to worship and things like that. But just Nehemiah in general, because this, this really is the culmination of a work that, you know, started well before what we're reading here in Nehemiah 12. So whoever wants to lead us off. Yeah, and I think we, <clears throat> I mean, I think we see it leading up to verse 27. You know, I mean, he's talking, I mean, Ezra comes back into the picture. Um, he's talking about everybody that was involved up to that point. Um, you know, mentioning David. So, I mean, it it is a great celebration. I mean, obviously it takes a kind of a, in the beginning of chapter 12, it changes to just this attitude of thanksgiving um, that's mentioned throughout. So, you know, they're very celebratory and, and giving thanks and um, just understanding kind of the the eternal meaning of what they've done. So, um, you know, I mean, they're they're celebrating God's work. And I mean, it started all the way back when um, you know, Nehemiah was the cupbearer. I mean, it, it's all and leads up to this one day, like you mentioned. So, I mean, it's it's significant. Um, I think the the attitude of Thanksgiving is one that stands out to me. Um, reading this little section here. Yeah, I looked at him too. Is that I think one of the things that amazed me, just digging through Nehemiah, was how tactical he was with his faith and in his wisdom and leadership. How there would be a problem. He immediately went to prayer and he would spend time in prayer focusing on what God wanted him to do. And he would always wait before. And then once he felt ready, he would then move to action with what he did. Um, you know, he, um, I, I think that was probably one of the most, you know, just things that led out to me more than anything. Is how there well are did that. a lot of examples of yeah. that, of, of him pausing uh, long enough to pray. So, Ryan, I, I saw you just scroll on Facebook a second ago. Yeah. Uh, I know you were looking for something, I was looking but it for was something. funny. I looked to my yeah. right and see the Facebook app, but what were you saying? Um, I, I was coming back to kind of like what you've been known for, you know, and I was, I was really hit by Paul's words in Acts chapter 20, which was what I was trying to pull up, um, which I have to go back to Facebook. Chapter 20. I know you hit me. You have to be ready at all times. You might get called on. Like in college, when the professor is like, hey, at any point, you're going to get called on. If you don't have something to say, you get a zero for the day. I have, a, I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. But, and then chap, uh, verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Then he follows up in verse 26. I declare today that I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it is not my fault. I don't know. I, I look at that. And I look at, at what Nehemiah has done here is like he's taking the Jewish people back from, um, from, from the sin that they had. I mean, they're coming out of what, 70, over 70 years of captivity uh, by, by other nations. And um, he's, he's, you know, having them, they turn and they repent. In, in, I think it was six, six, Nehemiah chapter six was the uh, repentance. 
Go ahead and flow. I'll yeah. try to find it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> they repent from their sins and then, uh, and they turn back to God. And so we just talked about, you know, two episodes ago, um, the, the, um, the sealing of the, uh, the covenant. And so, you know, he can look back, Nehemiah can look back and say, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord. And this was the work that was assigned by God to Nehemiah, which I think is a beautiful encapsulation of what our work is as Christians and disciples. Um, and so our work now is telling everybody about the good news. I mean, we're not, we're not the prophets now being woe is woe is this, you know, we already see the woe in our culture. We see the woe in our daily life, but now we actually have freedom from it through the grace of Jesus. I'll let you try to find it. I was having trouble as you were, you were chatting, but I would, I would say the, um, the totality of the book of Nehemiah for me, and this is probably why I'm drawn to it is it's a story of resilience, especially in those early chapters where we're describing, you know, Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem and all these people that were you know, trying to actively stop this work of God from happening. And if Nehemiah wasn't a prayerful guy, and if he wasn't a dutiful guy, not a leader, this is a very political book to me as well, because you're telling me that a guy just waltzes into a city that he's never been to before, and then with a snap of a finger can just get, you know, all these people to fall in line and be like, yeah, we need to do this, because these people have been living amongst that ruin for decades. Like, it's, it's generational ruin at this point. Like, it's almost like, hey, these walls can't be built. It's like, you know, people didn't think you could run a four-minute mile until someone did. People didn't think you could lift this amount of weight until someone did. And now we're changing the paradigms in our brain to kind of comport to, oh, this is possible now. And so I'm just really drawn to Nehemiah's resilience. And we'll, we'll talk about this more as we wrap up Nehemiah next week. But this was not, <laughs> this wasn't an easy process to get from start to finish. And then it immediately got hard again because people are stupid. And so it's like, and like we're inconsistent and we don't have the right levels of dedication to the project. But as I look at the book of Nehemiah, I find that to be that the one thing that sticks out to me is just the overall, overall resilience and sticking to God's word. And there's a final verse too, that I look at the growth of Nehemiah from the beginning, just his personality, how much it's grown, you know, from him being a cupbearer to being sad and brokenhearted before the king and the king then compelling him. And then him going through with all the grace and rebuilding the law and training everybody and whatnot, and then wrapping it up in 25. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God. I mean, he is an absolute boss by the end of the book. I mean, the guy is just zero tolerance, zero patience. This is exactly how it's got to be. And I think that when we look at Nehemiah, I think we should look at it as a descriptive view of how our walk is as Christians. I mean, uh, we will come in as a broken wall that needs to be rebuilt. Who rebuilds us? Christ rebuilds us. Um, as that wall is rebuilt by Christ, there's still cracks. There's still things that we're walking into and running into. And, and, and we're going to see through the Jewish people that, you know, yes, they've repented. They've, they, they've sealed this covenant, but they still have more. They still, <laughs> they still have more cracks. Uh, they still have more cracks that, that are, that are built in their wall. And it's basically, you know, that's where Nehemiah comes back. For those of you not watching this on YouTube or rumble for the last two sessions, I have begged my friend, Robert, who has a tremendously velvety, lovely, strong voice Thank you. to Thank speak into the microphone. Cause if I can't speak into the microphone, I could be making a really good point, but the microphone's not going to know that. And so now I am publicly Thanks. Shaming you, Perfect and I'm going to sign this, and you're going to keep it. 
so that you can have this memento from that one time you're invited and then never and, invited And the next back. time so I won't there, bring all that. of this material, so I'm trying to move this giant mic around. Hey, I know so. that it's it's in Sydney, it's inconvenient to make sure my audience can hear you, Robert. I'm one. so sorry that you are individually inconvenienced at this Such point, but, but no, we, we appreciate you. That's why we want to be able to hear your silly little voice. That's what we nice. want to be able to do. Nice. We went but, from velvety to silly just and like what, yeah, you, you know, There's I mean, a spectrum, right? It's 2023. Everything's a spectrum. But uh, again, I think that there's there, there's so many good points. Like that's the thing. I remember uh, Matt Grassmeyer, who's yeah. uh, not here, but he's he's done a lot of forging tables. I remember <laughs> he admitted this to me later. Whenever I said we were going to do Nehemiah, he was like Nehemiah. Like, uh, okay, yeah, sword and trial. Like okay, okay, but like there can't be that much there until you start digging into it, mm. and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a this is a leadership book. This is a business book. This is a book about prayer. This is a yeah. book about faith. This is a book about resilience. Like there, there's so much here. And even something very, very small here that stuck out to me as a guy that struggles with worship is verse 30. So I'm going to read verse 30 here. Uh, again, reading from the ESV. So Nehemiah 12, verse 30. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So that doesn't say anything, right? Like you, when you read through, it's like, okay, and the priests and Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So there's a corollary to ministry here, but also to worship because at this time, uh, more so than it is today, they, they were very reverent of holy places, right? So, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, where, where the, the Lord uh, touched down, you have the temple, you have the Holy of Holies, you have all these things that were covenantal places that where God dwelt and, you know, we're, we're really going to take these holy places seriously. But this one verse shows that this people group had expanded their understanding of holy places beyond the temple, beyond a building, but to include people, a, a people group, and the whole of Jerusalem. And that is something that gets, that gets really missed here. And to, to fast forward to our modern context, we don't have an ecclesia model anymore, right? Where it's like, you know, a small group of people where it's the gathering of the people that is the point. Now we live in an era where it's a building that's the point. And I'm not getting onto churches that build big, beautiful buildings. I'm not getting onto churches that, you know, expand because, you know, this church was built 50 years ago and it needs some upkeep and we're going to go ahead and expand and we're going to get a bit of par bigger parking lot. Like I'm describing our church, like our church uh, did an addition uh, to the building and then the church like doubled in size in six months. And it's a very healthy expository preaching Bible church. So that that's a good thing. But my goodness, how many of us grew up thinking that there was something special about a church in terms of the type of place it was where you can have church in a garage or you can have church in a $10 million building, God's presence is still there. And I, that just really struck me when I read verse 30. I think church is a community. It's, it's not a building. It has to be. It's a community of people. It's like-minded individuals that believe in one truth. And that is in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. Um, and we, we, we mold that truth and we disciple that truth to hopefully other people to grow our community, but we live life together. And I think, you know, what I loved about this was, I think there was a couple episodes back, you talked about baptism and how we don't get excited like we should with baptism. Like, look what's going on when they're dedicating this wall. I mean, they're having a parade. Mm. I mean, they're going from north, south, east, west, purifying, symbols, gladness, thanksgiving, singing, harps, lyres, like, 
Lears, however you want to pronounce I think it. It's Liars. Is it Liars? <laughs> there you go. Joby will correct me. Yeah, he will. Sorry, so, Joby. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing that we look at. Priest sons with trumpets, the musical instruments of David, the man of God again. You know, David, you know, it's 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 a beautiful thing seeing this dedication. It's basically a baptism, which is a baptism is your dedication to the church, your right. dedication to Christ. They're so, trying to go ahead, Caleb. They're trying to come up with all the different ways that they can celebrate this, right? I mean, like you think about, I mean, they're, they're blessing the wall. They're blessing the gate. You know, what might that have looked like, right? They're putting choirs on top of the wall. I mean, they're thinking about what are all the different ways that we can celebrate this? One of the things that stood out to me was verse thir- uh, 43. I may be jumping ahead a little Very bit. Good go. But uh, was that he said they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. And the women and children rejoiced as well so that the joy of Jerusalem Jerusalem was heard from far away. We think about, think about the things that we yell and shout about right now. I mean, like if you're, if you're outside of a football stadium, you can hear that from far away, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can hear a lot of things like that from far away. Can you hear the church celebrating from far away? I mean, that was something that I thought about with that passage was just like, do we celebrate? And I know that, you know, for, for some guys and some people in general, it's just worship is kind of a, a weird thing anyway. Um, and, and I know it's something that I personally have room to grow in, but you know, you think about what the Lord's done for us and the ways that I can celebrate and should celebrate him. And can I be heard from far away? So I want to, I want to park on this for a little bit. So I, that's perfect. So bringing up baptism and bringing up how we celebrate. Yes. I've brought this up at the forging table before. I don't know how long ago it was, but I've talked about it on my show, but it's like compare and contrast the difference between, you know, an SEC football game where the home team scores a a touchdown versus when somebody publicly declares that they are now like, uh, you know, dedicating their lives to Christ or that Christ chose them so that everybody is, is, is good on their language, whether you're reformed or not, maybe Christ chose them. Maybe they decided themselves or really good deciders. Who knows? But like, and, and we just do yeah. little golf clap. Like, Oh, isn't that so sweet? Little Susie has decided to dedicate herself to the Lord. Oh, isn't that so sweet? The guy in his forties, that's, you know, an ex felon that, you know, uh, decided to give his life to Christ. And Oh, now it's, isn't that a big deal? He's not, he's not doing Coke off of strippers bottoms anymore. Like he's, he's going to Bible study. Like this is such a, this is such a good, it's a little clap, little clap. And the emotion is saved for the family. So Ryan, whenever will your, mm-hmm. your oldest was baptized, like I was sitting in front of you at church and I'm getting choked up and I'm getting emotional because this is a big deal. And I know what went into it. There was some catechizing that went into it. There were a lot of conversations from dad to son. Hey, are you, you know, are you just getting baptized because your buddy got baptized or, or what, what do you think baptism is? And like these really as deep as you could get at the time with what is he seven or eight? He's eight. Okay. And so it's like as deep as you could get at the time that he was baptized and you know, I was emotional. I turned around and he's, he's crying. Ryan's crying. I was like, okay, yeah, that's it. But there were two, three people in the entire building. Like, and there were maybe a thousand people in the service. No, no one else was getting teary eyed. And, and I just like, and I'm, I'm at fault too. Like a fighter gets knocked out. It's a crazy knockout. And I jump out of my seat and I'm wow. Like it just this craziness. And then I, I catch myself just golf clap. And like, I struggle big time with that. What's funny is you had the video. Don't lose your thought. I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, 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 go that. for it. You had the video, uh, you took the video of yeah, him getting baptized right. and you could see the couple in front of him smile with excitement that you would have thought it was their kid getting baptized. Like, even yeah, though there's that golf great. clap, yeah, okay. you know what I'm saying? Like, and I get it. Like I, I, next time our church has baptisms, I think we're going to be the loudest guys there, mm. you know, let that um, be the goal, right? Yeah. Let mm. that be the goal. But 
I, it just amazed me. We went back to look at the video of Will being baptized and um, just seeing the people in front of them. Like he like looked over to his wife, was smiling like it was their kid that just got baptized. I thought it was a beautiful moment, you know? And so I think there's some beauty in the quietness, but there's also like, there needs to be a choice. There needs to be a way of rejoicing. Like we need to rejoice so much more than, than what we do now. You know, I feel, I feel like culture is, you know, we need to be laid back and not so spiritual. Like I'm not the guy that raises his hands during worship, you know, but when I do see that, I don't, I don't feel embarrassed for those people. I feel like empowered by them. I'm like, Hey, that's good. I'm glad that they're feeling a sense of the spirit. They're rejoicing. So yeah, baptism for me is with the kids is, has been a special deal that I put a lot of time and energy, which we all do, you know, and, and, and just the teaching of the kids and everything else along the way and getting them to really understand what they're going through. Um, you know, we remember times of great joy and times of great sorrow in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, they mark back. And I think those times of great joy, sometimes we remember them because we have so many people that come around to celebrate that with us. And sometimes that ceremony anchors us to that covenant or event. And so one thing that we've done that's a little bit different and is um, I've done all my baptisms for the kids and we've done them in ponds and we'll have 100 people that will come. And there is this bold declaration. And leading up to that, I give my testimony for the first time to my child in leading them to Christ. And like, there's none, like none of us are worthy. This is dad's story and why I'm not worthy, but God's grace is sufficient. His sacrifice is so powerful that I'm able to stand before the throne of God clean because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And so, there's a bonding that I've been able to pull together. And then what's really cool is the kids that have already been baptized, they and only they get to be with me when I'm with the new one. Mm. So like I have four kids. And so our youngest got baptized as the last one. I've baptized and done this with all four of my children. And then all three of my others. And this is usually like two days, three days a week before I'll go through and give my testimony with the kids. But the whole point is it's special because it's this like neat like story and I see the other kids smile because they know what part of the story I'm getting ready to get to and they're like looking at their younger sister because she's going to hear it for the first time and see what her eyes are going to look like and how she responds and then you know we'll, we'll end up having everybody out for the baptism itself and there's this big celebration that happens with it and so Yes, I do believe. I think that's Hands beautiful. down, there needs yeah. to be a massive celebration when this event happens. So I think there's some some takeaways that we can take from this. That that's a beautiful story, especially since I know your your individual story. But especially when kids are younger, how much effort we put into birthdays. And so, because Kelsey and I have talked about it, because you know we don't live in her hometown, we don't live in my hometown. Edmond is our hometown. We have no family here. Like you know we get to make our own uh, routines and get to make our own traditions. And so it's like, you know, what, what things do we want to make a big deal, a big deal out of? So Caleb, just like you guys, we love baseball. And so we've talked about the idea whenever our kids are old enough to play baseball and understand what the world series is, we're going to make a big deal out of game one of the world series. So like think about a super bowl party. How many people actually watch the game? Think about going to a big UFC. It. Yeah, so it's, it's a handful of people. Think about a big UFC. You invite guys over. How many guys are actually watching the fights? And it's like, 
it's the point is not, hey, let's watch game one of the World Series because we love baseball. It's this is an excuse to get a community of people together. And every year, every, every family will know, oh, yeah, the Thompsons, man, World Series is coming around. I know the Thompsons make a big deal out of it. Uh, the, the wife of the, the guy that leads our, our Sunday school, she saw me on opening day of baseball like three years ago. And I'm walking through Walmart wearing a jersey and I got my hat on. And she's like, oh, like, what, what is that? I don't even understand. I'm like, today's opening day. Yeah. She's like, what's opening day? I'm like, you don't know about opening day? And then I just tell her and she will tell that story all the time now. Like she knows when opening day is because she knows like Kyle thinks that's a big idea or a big deal. And she, she was excited by your excitement. Exactly. And now so she's bought in. That's the exact point, yeah. Robert. She right. was excited by my excitement. So what if we put a big level of excitement yeah. into the baptism of our kids, which could be in a pond. It can be in the baptismal at church, but it's like, it's not just, okay, make sure grandma and grandpa are there and make sure that a few other people are there. And then we'll all go to, to dinner afterwards, but it's like, make it a party, make it a thing. And again, I know we talk about these guys often. You're probably getting tired of it, but church of 1122 down in Jacksonville, Florida, that's Joby's church. They do beach baptism because so apparently awesome. they're not that far you know, from the beach. So they are literally dunking people in the Atlantic ocean. That's where they're doing baptisms. And the, the last time that I know about it, they did over a thousand baptisms in one day. Hmm. And there's, there's, there's tents and there's, there's music set up and there's, uh, you know, people coming through in a line. There's people deciding to follow Christ right then and there on the beach, uh, there in Florida. And it's like, it is a party. Like it is a, like they're trying to rejoice like the angels are rejoicing. Right. And they're trying to do their absolute level best. And it's like, that's what it should be. But, you know, again, as you were talking about Caleb, like, dude, they've got They've got people on the wall. They have a verse 31. And then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. We don't know how many people were in those choirs, but just the, the use of the word great there is not to say that they sounded good. It means to, that there was a large number of them. And that was a dedication to their work. What were they working towards? Something that God put on the heart of Nehemiah to do to help restore his chosen people in Israel. And I like, man, I could keep going on. Like you guys feel free to hop in, but it, man, it's just, it is such a big deal. We need to make it a bigger deal. I think it's, it's a huge deal in the fact that they were able to do this in 52 days. Like God was behind this and they know it a hundred percent and they're giving their gladness and their Thanksgiving towards him. I mean, it's, it's a full on worship service that's going on through here and which kind of comes back to the covenant of, you know, um, of, um, the Sabbath, you know, um, Christ came and took care of the ceremonial law. So we create Sunday as our day of worship. Like that's our day of us coming together as these people came together and worshiping the one true God. You know, like we should treat what they did on the dedication of, of this wall. We should do every Sunday just on what God's done in our lives. I think it's a beautiful thing. What's going on right here. Yeah. I mean, so much is said about what we celebrate, you know, I mean, even so one of the notes I had here was Ezra three thirteen which is said the foundation walls were complete and a shout went out that could be heard from far away. I mean, it was just like, it didn't even have a, it wasn't even vertical really, you know? I mean, it was foundations, probably not very high. I'm um, not a builder, right. but you know, that's just the beginning. So, I mean, I think our, so much is said about what we celebrate and coming together with, with God's people every Sunday should be celebrated. So, you know, the, the energy that we have with, with worship and it's something that I'm, I'm telling my kids all the time, like, Leadership and commitment to something is not about your volume, right? I mean, it's not about how loud you are. That doesn't make you a leader. Um, but, you know, it's, it's what's going on inside you that how significant you're treating something. So you were going to say something, right? 
I was just thinking just with the celebration alone on the walls, but they're also, you know, we get into, um, verse 44 in the temple, like, you know, like the temple was basically somewhat re it was rebuilt too. you know, the house of God is now back in order. Um, and so, I mean, that was, a, I think a cause for celebration as well. And the thing that I find important here is again, I keep going back to it, but I feel the need to remind everybody. These are, these are all concepts that we've spent the last 30 minutes or so talking about that you could have easily missed with a cursory reading of Nehemiah yeah. 12. And that's the other thing I guess I want to encourage people to do because I've had to kind of get out of my own head a little bit from starting the forging table because I was one of those, you know, numbskulls that was like, well, I don't have time to study the Bible, so I'm just not going to read it because I had been convinced that, well, it's too dense. I, I can't understand it. Like, and it's like, yeah, I have a certain level of intellect, but there's plenty of people that are smarter than me that struggle with the Bible. So who am I to be able to read it? But you don't get all this stuff just from reading a bunch of commentaries and then learning the original uh, Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or any of those types of things. It's just here in the text. And the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you as you're reading this to help pull things out for you. The one caution I would give to everybody is don't make the book of Nehemiah about you and your business or you and your household. Because at the end of the day, the book of Nehemiah is not about you. It's about God. And as we'll see when we talk about the very last chapter of Nehemiah next week, it's pointing to unfinished work at this time in history, okay? It's unfinished work, and God still had a work to do even after Malachi, the last book that we see in our, in our New Testament, but it was actually the last book, the last chapter of Nehemiah, rather, that uh, is the latest thing written in the Old Testament. Because as you'll notice, guys, as you read forward for next week, you would think Nehemiah is going to end with a, you know, a thump, but it kind of ends with a thud. Like it's kind of a, a little bit of a dud ending, and there's a reason for that. But one thing I did want to point out, in verse 31 through 37, uh, this is a listing of the gates, um, and it you know, kind of goes back to something that you said, Robert, I don't know if it was this week or last week, about when you see these names, there's a... The reason these names are there is because there were a lot of hard-fought battles, not like, you know, sword and shield battles, but there were a lot of battles at these different gates, at these different walls. And there's a listing in verses 31 through 37 of these gates. And with, with, with all this kind of happening, we know that one thing Nehemiah is doing is under the cover of night, he's going to inspect the work that's been done. He's inspecting the walls. He's inspecting the gates. And the last time we saw this happen was in verse two, because this is after he, you know, risks his life by asking King Artaxerxes for a sabbatical uh, and for timber and for letters of safe passage to travel to a city he's never been to, to rebuild the walls. And as I make a big point, every time I talk about it, he could have just kicked the doors in and been like, all right, Jerusalem, I'm here. I'm the savior. I'm Nehemiah. Let's get it done. He didn't do that. When he arrived, as we see in chapter two, he arrived and evaluated. He got out his notebook and his pen, and he just like, all right, well, this needs to be done. This needs to be done, which is what a leader would do, which is what a politician would do. And now, this again, this is why this part of, the, of Nehemiah is the climax of this entire book, is because he's doing the same thing he did at the beginning now that the work is finished. And so it shows a, a cumulative nature and culmination of the work that he's done that, look, we get to see this from beginning to end, but the story's not over. That, that still strikes me like, hey, He's still the same Nehemiah. Like, he doesn't win the tournament and then, oh, I don't need to train for a couple of weeks. He doesn't accomplish the physical goal and it's like, all right, I guess I can take six months off now. Like, he's obviously doing the same dutiful work that he's done the whole way. 
I love that. Something significant too about the gate is, I mean, through the same door that you welcome in the people of Israel to build, you know, what God is doing in this in Jerusalem here is the same gate that the enemy can come through to be able to destroy everything that you put for God's will. Did you just catch that? Right back well, in. I caught it because the so the weird thing it? about that, Robert, is I wasn't even looking at you because I was doing something else on my notes, but I heard you trailing off into the nether regions. And yeah. so it like got me to yeah. Di- yeah. divert right back. Is it, this does will it be smell the one bad? And only, right? Does right. the microphone like smell bad? Really You're not doing a great job of uh, making your invitation uh, to come back very uh, forthcoming. That's where but, I sat, so it probably does smell bad. Uh, is that what it is? Okay, you're just like recoiling. But That's that same good. gate, uh, you know, he's looking at as, as the main, you know, protection and the main invitation for everything that he began with the gates and he's ending with the gates in his vision. I think there's, you know, making sure that it's up to, you know, up to the code, it's inviting, it's, it's safe, it's sacred, it's everything that it needs to be to protect the city. Well, when we talked about uh, Nehemiah 3, Robert, I remember Matt kind of bringing that up, like, no, 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 you're reading it like, oh, the dung gate. I don't know anything about the dung gate. Don't you think the people in Jerusalem at the time knew something about the dung gate? Mm-hmm. Think about your city. I thought about this yesterday. Like, you can tell when people are kind of full of crap when they pretend to be from a certain area. And like, if you're from that area, you can start dropping some knowledge from your hometown. Cause like I'm from Lawton, Oklahoma, Southwest Oklahoma. So I can mention some things like, Oh, Luigi's, uh, Italian restaurant that you would only know about if you lived there. Wayne's drive through, uh, mirrors. You know, if you go out to, uh, the refuge out there, there's mirrors and they have these big plate sized burgers. And so if somebody was not from Lawton, but was pretending I'm going to know pretty quick. You know, we talked about baseball quite a bit. Like when someone says, Hey, how many points did the Cardinals score last night? You're like, all right, this person doesn't know what baseball is because they what's call it points day? and not runs. Yeah, what's opening day? And it's like there's this inauthenticity to what they're saying and what they're doing. And uh, I mean, kind of back to your point, like th- those, those things meant something. The Dungate meant something. These random names that none of us will be able to pronounce or understand, like it meant something to these people. And we just lose that when we read it. I'm going to channel my Grassmire, so... Um, Gonna talk real low, but still real, low, real silky like, all at the same time. It's like, impressive. You know, dung, I'm super jealous. The Dungate, you know, bro. Yeah. I mean, it's just <laughs> like I don't know that he's ever said, you know, bro. But it's not <laughs> the best Matt Grassmeyer. Well, I also don't have a mustache, so That's okay. um, we can work on it. But no, when I think of Dungate, I'm like, man, um, who wants to hang out at the Dungate? Um, I, I think you know, we we look at this and we look at we look at where Nehemiah, you know, and what he and what he's done with with um the Israelites and rebuilding this town and then rebuilding the Holy, the Holy temple. I think it's, it's just something that, that shows, you know, what he's done, but I kind of wanted to bring into the surface of the temple service of the temple. So, um, you know, we, we talk about the Levites and we talk about the priests at the beginning of this, um, chapter, you know, and it's like, well, who are the Levites? Who are the priests? You know, the priests and Levites are the same. Um, not all Levites were priests, but the Levite, the clan of the Levites was the, the Holy priesthood of, of the uh, 12 tribes. So all 12 tribes got land except for the Levites. So they were, that's why the taxes and the first fruits and everything comes into the storeroom for the the Holy temple. And, you know, now the Holy temple's rebuilt and he's basically in this chapter telling you who, you know, these Holy priests are, these are, you know, these are where your first fruits are going. They're, they're going to take care of this. And this is where a lot of God's condemnation comes down on on the Israelites is because they're not taking care of the Levites they are not taking care of God's holy, holy temple. And so I, I think it awesome on, on, 
it's awesome on verse 44 on that day, the men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, uh, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, according to the fields of the towns for Judah and rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. So the priests and the Levites minister God's word. They minister, you know, everything that God wants these people to know, but we have to take care of them. And then we're going to, this is going to set us up in chapter 13. And the fact that look at these storerooms, look what they're filled with. These are, these aren't little rooms, little closets that we just fill with some toilet paper and stuff that the church needs. I mean, this is what keeps the Levites and the Holy temple going. And then watch how we, we as they, as Israelites in the new covenant, walk away from what God's asked them to do, what they've sealed and signed on to do just like we as Christians can do sometimes. But I think the first fruits is something we definitely need to talk about in the tithes and then, and then how that's going to take effect in chapter 13. Well, even including the first fruits, it's not just our money. It's also our attention. Yep. Uh, but of course, yep. in this context, they're, they're clearly talking about currency. Yes. Which is important as well. Yeah. I think one of the things that stood out, I know we're kind of looking at this as like the, the culmination of the book, right? And we've talked about it a little bit is just the planning that went along to it. I mean, with it, I mean, they're mentioning everything, right? I mean, it's leaders that you put in place, obviously protection around the city, leaders that you put in place, the planning with, uh, you know, food and first fruits and all those things that stands out. Um, and then we'll see obviously how, you know, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that they made the covenant. They're not going to neglect the house of the Lord. And then, lo and behold, that's exactly what we do. Um, you know, just in our, in our disobedience. So, I mean, I think that that's the first fruits also makes me think of, um, I heard said that give, don't give until it's uncomfortable or until it makes you uncomfortable, give until it makes you feel good. Yeah. Is that, I mean, it's not, you know, the 10% thing. I mean, I know that was, I feel like that was the original kind of thought of what a tithe was, but that, that went away. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was give all you can give. Give with a cheerful heart. Yep, exactly. So I think that's a good way to think about it. I didn't really heard it uh, kind of put in that way, but uh, you, you said something there that I think is what we should wrap on is disobedience because I feel like if you were a screenplay writer or a director or something like that, you would have ended the, the movie with Nehemiah 12, but there is a Nehemiah 13. So we're going to leave the discussion for Nehemiah 12 and we're going to pick it up next week when we wrap up the book of Nehemiah by going into Nehemiah 13 and keep that word disobedience in mind. So guys, make sure you read through the end of Nehemiah Nehemiah 13 for next week so you can be ready to go. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So guys, if you like the forging table, if you like some of the ideas that I've thrown out there to you guys about some different rites of passage or additional content, we cannot produce anything without your financial help. We get a little bit of money from advertisers, but the overwhelming majority of the funds that come into Undaunted Life is from you guys, the donors. You have skin in the game in terms of the content that we are putting out there so that we can equip men around the globe to push back darkness. So we need you guys to do that with us. So there's a donation link in the show notes for today, or you can just go to undaunted.life backslash donate.
Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah <laughs>